we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zeblin and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. have your Bible with you. We are in the book of Isaiah this morning in chapter 9. and So thankful uh, that we get to start this uh, time in Advent together over the next five weeks. We get to kind of, as Pastor Mike said earlier, just recenter our hearts and our minds on our Savior. And Advent is a beautiful time to do that. I, I love Advent for, for a couple reasons. Um, one, just that uh, it's, it's so much... Um, pulls us into the story of Scripture. Uh, Advent, like, like Pastor Mike said, it means arrival or coming. And, and so much of God's Word, really, the whole Old Testament, again, the New Testament, is looking for the coming of the promised one, the promised Savior, and, and their anticipation and their expectation. And so we enter into this redemptive storyline that a lot of times that we aren't as aware of as, as Jesus followers, or we look past or forget, or we spend so much time in the New Testament epistles that sometimes we forget how much the Old Testament is centered on this looking forward to the coming of Christ. But Advent also calls us not just to remember Jesus' first coming, his first arrival, but it calls us to look to his second coming. That we as a people are between the now and the not yet. That Jesus has come, he's made a way to redeem for our sins, but he is coming again. And we learn from our, our, the believers of old what it looks like for us as the people of faith to live now looking in anticipation for the day that Christ returns. Amen? And so this Advent season is an opportunity for us to do that. I, I love it because it's historical. Advent's not something that uh, we sat in a room and just came up with like a couple months ago as a, like a, a church staff team or anything like that. This is a historical a journey that the church has been on for hundreds of years. Even one of the hymns we sang this morning, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, was written in 1744 by Charles Wesley. And it's one of the Advent hymns that has been sung uh, for centuries. 
to call the church back to this remembering of who Jesus is and what he's done. But another reason I love Advent for us personally as a church family is it's an opportunity for us to gather our families together in unison remembering what Christ, Christ has done. And like Pastor Mike mentioned, we have uh, all kinds of resources developed for you. And this week, starting today through the end of the month, what we're preaching on on Sunday morning, the big truths that are in the sermon are the same big truths that are going to be in preschool and elementary and middle school and high school. So the whole family gets to unite around the same ideas and the same truths and we get to learn and memorize together and do family discipleship together. So I just want to encourage you and challenge you, whatever your family looks like, whatever stage of life you're in, I want to encourage you to lean in over the next few weeks. Uh, so like Pastor Mike said earlier, not let the distraction, the hustle and bustle of these days keep us from having conversations about our King. And one of the questions that I get asked a lot when we talk about the family discipleship plan is, you know, what does family discipleship look like in my home, in Katie's home? So I brought a picture just to help uh, illustrate kind of what this looks like for us most, <laughs> most, weekends, most weeks and weekends when we do this together. So it's really important to know that she is smiling before you like report me or send me a nasty email or something like this. So uh, she volunteered, she wanted to be tied up. Her brothers wanted to go first, but we let, let her EV go first. Um, and you might say, well, why are you tying your kids up? Is this the way that you teach them God's word? Uh, well, maybe, sometimes. But, but the reason why she's tied up uh, in this picture is because a couple weeks ago, the verse that we learned together is from Proverbs chapter 4, talking about how our iniquities ensnare us and we are held fast in the cords of our sin. That sin leads us into bondage, and we can't break out of that bondage on our own. And so the reason why I want to share this picture with you is really twofold. One, I just want to encourage you, parents, uh, at whatever stage, whether you have teenagers, whether you have children and grandchildren, I want to encourage you this Advent season, make it about the gospel and bring the gospel to life. Have fun with it. Be intentional with it. Be intentional with these truths. Have the conversations around the dinner table or go out to eat or take your teenager out for coffee and talk about the king. Talk about the king that we're longing for and waiting for and hoping for. But the second reason I wanted to show you this picture this morning is because it illustrates the context of this passage that we're in. The context of Isaiah chapter 9 is one of bondage. The children of Israel are in exile. They have sinned against their God repeatedly and so God has allowed foreign captors, the, the most powerful nations at the time, to come in and take God's people, uh, Israel, out of Jerusalem into Babylonian captivity, and they are stuck. They are trapped. They are in bondage. They can't get out. There's not hope of them being able to rise up and break free. Their only hope is a deliverer. Their only hope is a king. And this passage that we just heard read to us is a passage of longing for a king. Longing for a deliverer. Longing for a savior. Longing for a rescuer. Which leads us to our big truth this morning. This is what we want to kind of center our minds around from this text. Is that Jesus' followers long for their king. Jesus' followers long for their king. One of the things that marks us as the people of God is a deep, longing for our king. And you can kind of see the climax of this in chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. I just want to read it to us again. It says, For to us 
a child is born to us, a son is given. And again, context. They're in bondage, they're in exile, they're in captivity, they can't break free, they're looking for a rescuer. And now you have this promise that's being prophesied to them that a son is coming. A son is going to be given. And he's not just any kind of son. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will be a deliverer. The all power and authority will rest on him. His name will be called Wonder of a Counselor. He's going to be the mighty God. His name will be Everlasting Father. No end, no beginning, eternal, unchanging. And he's also going to be the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Flourishing. The people who are in captivity, bondage, brokenness, there's flourishing that's going to come through this son. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Verse 7, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is going to do this. He's promised this is going to happen. And you can just feel the longing in this passage as the people are looking to the king who's going to come and set them free. The king who's going to come and redeem them. The king who's going to come and rescue them. And it's really important if you highlight circle in your Bibles. In verse 7 it says, on the throne of David. And really fully understand this passage. Uh, you want to go back and study 2 Samuel chapter 7. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God through Nathan the, the prophet promises King David that he is going to have a son. That son is going to sit on an everlasting throne. His rule and reign will be no end. And these people in Isaiah's time period, they know Solomon's reign. They know Solomon wasn't that son. And so now of this prophecy and this promise, they are being reminded that no, there is another son who's going to be born of the family of David and he will be the one. And longing fills the hearts of God's people. And this morning, what I'm praying happens in your heart and my heart is that there would be a deep longing for Jesus that would begin to grow. I want to ask you a question this morning, and obviously I'm not expecting you to shout out an answer. This is a question I would encourage you to write down if you take notes. It's a question I want you to think on, and it's, it's this as we come to this text this morning. What is your heart longing for today? What is your heart longing for this morning? As we come into another Christmas season, Thanksgiving ends, what, what is your heart long for? What is your heart burdened for this morning? And, and my prayer for you and my prayer for me and my prayer for us as a church family is that this Advent season, our deepest longing would be for our King, Jesus more than any other longing. And I know some of you walk in this room carrying heavy burdens, carrying pain, carrying sickness. There's brokenness in your family. There's a lost job. There's a wayward child. There's sin. There is struggle. There's anxiety. There's depression. Whatever those things are, everyone in this room, we come in with longing. But what I want to challenge you with, what I want to encourage you with, and what Scripture calls us to this morning is the deepest thing that your heart longs for is not something, it's someone. It's not a different circumstance. It's for the King. Because your heart and my heart was created to know Him, to love Him, to follow Him. 
And so we are praying that God would give us this longing. A defining element of Advent is longing. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people longing for the King who would come. And we get to join into that longing. And when we begin to join into that longing, longing becomes a gift in the life of a Jesus follower. Longing is a beautiful habit. It's a discipline that we cultivate as we pursue God through His Word. When longing for Jesus' second coming begins to capture our hearts, it means that the world is beginning to loosen its grip. We want the longing of Christ to capture our hearts so that the grip of this world will begin to loosen on us. And so what can we do to help our hearts long for the King? How do we long for the King? Well, this, this week, there are three big ideas coming out of this text that help create longing in our hearts for the king. Two of those, I'm not going to have time to tackle it all this morning, but they are in those family discipleship plan guides. Your kids are being taught them this morning. Your students are going to be taught them this week uh, at launch. And so parents, there's all kinds of resources there to help you dive in. Anyone, there's resources there to help you dive in. Behind the message this Wednesday night, we'll go further into these other two big ideas. But this morning, I just want to focus on one of them, and and that big idea is this. We long for a king who is our deliverer. That the king we long for is a deliverer. Again, we see that in verses 6 and 7, that the government will be upon his shoulders. And that picture of the government being upon his shoulders, it It's a change in authority. It's a change in power. The only way that this government, this Babylonian and Persian governments could be overthrown would be through a deliverer, someone else who had greater authority, greater power, who could come and set his rule and reign up. And so this morning, one of the ways that we begin to create a longing and cultivate a longing in our hearts for King Jesus is to see King Jesus as our deliverer. And so what I want to do in in the time that we have this morning is I just want to walk through this text. And what I want to be able to do is highlight six glorious realities about our deliverer and how the king is a deliverer and what he has come to deliver you from and what he has come to deliver me from. And here's what I just want to encourage you to do. And uh, You can write these down. They'll be on the screens and I'll move fairly quickly. If you want to download the notes later, you can. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you want to begin to cultivate a heart that longs for your king, these are six beautiful realities from this passage that we see all throughout Scripture that will help you cultivate a heart of longing. And so we're just going to walk through this text together, uh, and then we're going to respond in worship this morning. So how do we long for our king? How do we create a longing that is fixed around the king who is our deliverer. Here's the first reality. The king can deliver us because he is good and in control. The king can deliver you. The king can deliver me. Why? Because he is good and because he is in control. And this is a beautiful reality just to think about and meditate on this week. God is good always. And God is always in control. Amen? Even when it may not feel good, God is always good. And even when it might feel like life is out of control, God is always in control. Amen? 
Like, that's good news. Our heart needs to hear that. Our souls need to be reminded of that. We don't just live in this world that we control, but it's actually under the sovereign control of a God, but not just any God, a good God. And we can see that in verse 1. If you have your Bible with me, we'll just walk through this verse together. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. So talking about the children of God in exile, what's going to come. In former time, he brought in contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea. Now, it's important. God is the one who initiated the exile. He was the one who brought into contempt. You can see it here. So God's sovereign plan, God's control is to bring his people into bondage. Why? To help them see their need for him. But it's not just that God brought them into bondage. It's saying God is going to bring them out of bondage. And the reason why it talks about Zebulun and Naphtali, these are the cities and by the sea, this is where the exile began. This is where the enemies who invaded Israel, they came through these regions of the country first. And so what he's saying is that the cities that were originally marked by the coming of exile will be marked by glorious freedom and redemption, that the king of kings is going to do this. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea. And these verses are so important. The land beyond the Jordan, and I love this phrase, Galilee of the nations. Now, you may not be a biblical scholar, and I'm not either, and that's okay, but, but Galilee and nations do not go together. Galilee is this kind of random, small town in Jerusalem area, in, in Israel, sorry. And it, it's of little consequence and significance. And so for him to say the Galilee of the nations, nations of the world, see these flags around us, it wouldn't really make sense. It's kind of like me saying the Irwin of the nations, right? Like when you think about Irwin, you probably don't think of it as like the major metropolis of all the nations of the world gathering there. But what he's doing is he's saying that through this little area of Galilee, all of the nations are going to be blessed. And what we know on this side of the cross into the New Testament is that Jesus lived and did ministry in Galilee. It was out of this city that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Again, going back to this idea that God is good and God is in control. When it seems like God's not working, God is working. When it seems like God doesn't have a plan, God has a plan. And this morning, I just want to speak to wherever you are, whatever you're going through, God is good and God is in control. God is always working in our waiting. God is always working in ways that we cannot see and understand. And that is good news for us this morning. Even the exile itself is a picture of that. The, something that would seem to be the worst thing imaginable. God is using for His glorious purposes. In this passage alone, we see promises of the coming King. Gloom is going to be turned to joy. The nations are going to be blessed through a place called Galilee. There's going to be good news of great joy. Hope is in a child. It's going to come through the house of David. Promise after promise after promise that these people, this is really important, these people in this context, in exile, will not see Jesus born. And for many of us, some of the hopes and dreams we have, we won't see realized. But God is still God. God is still working. And God is still good. And our hearts can be fixed in longing on the God who is in control. Some of the prayers that you're praying this morning, you may not see answered in your lifetime. God is still God. God is still good. And God is in control. And God is working for your good and for His glory. 
So one of the realities that helps create longing in our hearts is knowing that God is good and in control. Here's the second one. The king can deliver us from our sin and shame. The king can deliver us from our sin and shame. Not only is the king in control, not only is the king good, but he can deliver from sin and shame. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Now it's really important to note the reason why the nation of Israel went into exile was not because some enemy king just came in and conquered them. Now scripture is very clear in the books of Jeremiah and the books of Ezekiel that the reason why God's people were sent into exile was because of their sin. They were sent into exile because they had rejected God. They had rebelled against God. So he removed his presence from them. Friend, I just want to speak to you this moment. Everyone in this room, believer or unbeliever, the greatest problem in your life is your sin. The greatest challenges that you're facing right now in your life are because of your brokenness and your sin. All of us have chosen to walk in the land of darkness. Again, verse 2. It's not that they were put in a land of deep darkness. They walked in deep darkness. We have all chosen to sin. They set up their tent. They dwelled in a land of deep darkness. You and I have willingly rejected God and have stayed there. But look at the end of verse 2. On them light has shone. Friends, God doesn't save us because we are good and do our best and so he comes in and loves us. No, when we were walking in the land of deep darkness, when we are in sin running from God, God's light shines on us. It's God's work to pursue you and God's work to pursue me in our sin and in our brokenness. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Jesus follower, I just want to call you to remember who you were before Christ saved you. What was your life like before Christ saved you? When did the light of the gospel shine on you and break through in your darkness? Remember the gospel. And for those of you who are here this morning who may not know Christ as Savior, God's light can shine on you. God's light can break through into your life and no one is too far gone. There's no sin that you can commit that God cannot save you from. Again, God's people had committed massive evils, worshiping idols, killing their children and sacrificing the false gods, committing adultery, giving their money to other nations, deep, idolatrous acts of sin, and God still promises to send a rescuer to save them. No one in this room is outside the grasp of the gospel. That's good news this morning. And if you're a Christian, for us as Jesus followers, during this time of Christmas and Advent, to remember who we were before Christ entered in. To remember God's death through His Son in your place and in my place. This is, creates longing in our hearts for our King as we remember what Christ has done. Third reality, not only can the king deliver us from sin and shame, but thirdly, the king can deliver us from joylessness. The king can deliver us from joylessness. And Pastor Mike mentioned it earlier, but during this time of year, 
It, we are a culture in the United States of a, a culture and a world that is longing for joy, and we try to find it in Black Friday sales and Cyber Monday sales and through giving gifts and through receiving gifts and all the lights and all the noise and all the stuff that we can buy and purchase. And at the end and the root of all that is a world that is longing for joy and happiness and trying to find it in meaningless things. And things that distract and things that numb, but not things that bring true joy. But look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad and they divide the spoil. What he's saying is that joy is coming, but joy is not found in circumstances. Joy is found in a person. Friends, this morning and this Christmas season, your joy and happiness is not going to be found around the Christmas dinner table, around a present, or around any of the kind of things that our world pushes at you and pushes at my heart. Joy is found not in our circumstances. Joy is found in our King. Some of you this morning, you come in and, and you carry the weight of things going on in your life, but it's important to remember that joy is not just an emotion we feel. Joy is it's a person. There's an object to joy. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. There's an object. There's a person at the center of joy. And if you want to find joy this holiday season, if you want to find joy this Christmas, it's only going to be found in Jesus Christ. He is the source of joy for your life and my life. And God wants to save us out of joylessness and to find our joy in Him alone. The King can deliver us from joylessness. Good news. Fourthly, the king can deliver us from our current bondage. The king can deliver us from our current bondage. Not only does he deliver us from sin and shame, not only can he deliver us from joylessness, but he can deliver us from the bondage you are facing today. The burden you are facing today. Many of you have weights and burdens on your life. Some of you have cancer in your family. Some of you are facing major debt. Some of you are facing major issues at your work. Some of you are facing major issues with your kids. And you come in this morning and you are burdened. Some of you have decisions that you need to make that are going to affect your lives and the lives of the people. And you are burdened. This morning, your Savior is not finding an answer to those questions. Your Savior is the King. Look at verses 5 through 6. It shows the might of the king. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned with fuel for the fire. What on earth is going on? Go back to verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the pressure you have broken is on the day of Midian. What's he talking about in these verses? Judges chapter 6. If you go back to Judges chapter 6, it's the story of Gideon. And Gideon and his men were up against an army they could not defeat. An army that had surrounded Israel that was taking them captive. And God, through Gideon, won the battle against the people of Midian. A glorious, mighty battle, not with strength of sword, but with torch and trumpet. And what the writer of this passage, Isaiah, is saying to you and saying to me is that the deliverer who's coming is going to win a battle in a way that no one could possibly imagine. He's going to come and deliver them from their burden. He can come and deliver you from the burdens that you're facing, the bondage that you're facing today. 
But verse 6 tells us that it's not the hero that we expect. It's not the one that we think would come. It's not this mighty king. It's not a Superman flying into the cape. It's not Pastor Mike riding in on a white horse. It's, it's a baby. It's a son. But he's not just any kind of baby. The government is going to be on his shoulders. His name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's not the hero we expected, but he's the remedy that our soul desires. Do you need freedom this morning? Jesus the King is our victor, just like on the day that Gideon, through the power of God, defeated Midian. Do you need stability this morning? Jesus the King is our government. The government sits on his shoulders. It is stable. In a world where the government is all over the place, he is stability and he is stable in an unstable world. Do you need direction this morning? Jesus the King is our wisdom. Do you need help this morning? Jesus the King is the mighty God, the one with all the power in his possession. Do you need, um, do you need a family this morning? Jesus the King brings us into the family of the everlasting Father. Do you need peace this morning? Jesus the King brings peace and flourishing to the soul. Whatever burden you're facing this morning, whatever bondage you're facing this morning, Jesus the King is the one who can deliver you from that bondage. And he has the power to do that. Not just to get us out of our problems, but to deliver us to himself for his glory, and for our good. Fifthly, the King can deliver us because he is a sufficient sacrifice. The king can deliver us because he is a sufficient sacrifice. I don't want to overlook these words in verse 6. If you have your Bible, look at this with me. For to us a child is born. To us, and these are the important words, a son is given. It's not just that a child is going to be born, but there's going to be a son given. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. This given word means offered, and it's this picture of a sacrifice. It's this picture of a lamb, and even the imagery about David and his kingdom. David was a shepherd, and born in the house and city and lineage of David. It's the town of Bethlehem. It's a place where shepherds would be, and where there were sheep, and all the things that we see in Luke 2. And, and Jesus is the sacrifice. The son is not just the conquering king. He is going to lay down his life for your sin and my sin. One of the beauties of Advent, friends, God doesn't just pull us out of our mess and our brokenness. He incarnates, which means he comes down into the mess and brokenness with us. God doesn't just pull us out. He steps into it with us. God has done that in your life, and he's done that in my life, and he does that through the cross. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because we know what is happening at Easter. That there is going to be death, but there's also going to be resurrection. A son is given, a sacrifice is given for your sin and my sin, and this time of the year we are called to remember that a son did not was not just born but a son was also given given for you given for me and 
when we think about that, it creates longing in our hearts to know the Son that was given for us, to obey the Son that was given for us, to follow the Son that was given for us, to lay down our lives for the Son that was given to us. Then the last reality is this. The King can deliver us because His rule and reign is forever. The King can deliver us because His rule and reign is with no end. And verse 7 speaks to that. Of the increase of His government and peace flourishing, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And I love this line. The zeal, the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not a maybe. It's not a might. God is going to do this. God is doing this work to redeem a people for Himself through His King. And to a people who are in bondage, darkness, brokenness, a light is going to shine. The people undeserving and unworthy, a light is going to shine. And we now, as God's people, looking back on Christ's death, burial, resurrection, ascension, looking forward to the day when He comes again, we are invited into this longing to remember our King, to remember our Deliverer, the one who is in control, to the one who is good, to the one who can save us from our sin, the one who can save us from joylessness, who can deliver us from the burdens that we face today, who has given his son to rescue us and to redeem us and who will reign forever and his rule and reign will be no end. We get to be a part of that. And when we begin to think about, pray about, think about those things, it begins to create a longing in my heart and your heart for our King. So I just want to close by asking you the question I asked at the beginning this morning. Here's the question. This is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to even spend some time meditating on and praying as the worship team comes up to lead us. What is your heart longing for this morning? What is your heart longing for this morning? What longing has captured your heart and your mind? I just want to invite you to bow your heads close your eyes, let this be a time of prayer and response. And in the stillness of this moment, I just want to give you an opportunity to even be honest with God this morning. God, these are the things that my heart longs for most right now. And even in this moment, to ask that God would change the longing of your heart to be for the King. Father, I just pray for my friends this morning. I pray that through this time of Advent as we lean into uh, these passages and remember your first coming, that you would produce in our hearts a longing for you, a longing for our deliverer. We thank you that you've made a way to rescue us. And we worship you this morning. We want the thing that dazzles us most this holiday season to be you. Please do that in our lives. Please do that in our families' lives. Please do that in our children's lives. Please do that in our city, in our community. And let us as a people be a picture to the watching world of a family that longs for their king above all else. Let it change the way we think. Let it change the way we spend our money. Let it change the way that we plan our calendar. Let it be the thing that guides our hearts. We thank you that all this is possible because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.